Hey, Bob Gurr here, legendary Imagineer. I've just had a fantastic time answering a whole bunch of crazy questions that some of them are not so crazy for Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more, right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 135 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place and I'm glad you're here. Today we continue with part two of a three-part interview with legendary Disney Imagineer Terry Harden, recorded in person in her studio. In part one, Terry shared her first assignment in Imagineering, a Stories of the Magic exclusive, what Halloween was like at Walt Disney Imagineering, some advice for you and me if you want to work for Disney, becoming a Muppeteer, and more. Now in this episode, Terry talks about some of the other things she's done and is doing that she's particularly proud of, including the Foster Farms chickens the best place to learn forensic sculpting and why she loved it so much, being open to learning and being encouraged, and to doing that for others, what she's done that she misses, being a very passionate, straightforward person, including talking about a few movies she hates, missing Marty Scalar and missing working with Tony Baxter, being kind to people who love Walt Disney World or Disneyland when you prefer the other one, the virtues of California, especially Southern California, after many rejections, how she finally got hired by Disney, and a very special experience she had with her favorite singer. Now a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. If you love all things Disney, then you're a D-head. And if you're a D-head, this is the show for you. Each and every week, Disney Blue presents Disney On Demand, your free, dedicated Disney podcast hosted by Jonathan Johnson. Every week, Disney Blue relives all the Disney magic, movies, and memories. Every week, you'll hear our celebrity guests who make the magic, your favorite Disney actors, writers, directors, and characters, the best of classic Disney, and breaking news on Disney's latest films, television shows, and theme parks. So put on your ears and give it a little bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. Disney Blues Disney On Demand is on the air, and it's free. Just go to DizRadio.com. That's D-I-Z Radio.com. See you real soon. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. You just, you just are there for people everywhere you go, and people just don't know what you're going to do next. I think that's the way that people should be today, so that no one person thinks they've got gotcha, you. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it seems like the way you need to be. 
yeah. anymore. I think so. I think so. I tell people if you put all your eggs in the Disney basket and then Disney says bye bye, there you are like the poor coyote on a cliff with no nothing below you going ah. <laughs> you you want to have a few safety nets and but you, it doesn't mean your safety net has to be you have to be a secretary or a you know or do something that you don't like to do. Just do you know two or three things that you like to do. So if one falls through, you go oh, I'll, I'll do something. I'll do something else. You know right. Or if somebody takes from you, so. Went to China and I designed this beautiful long coat. People see me in it now and they go, oh my God. And I say, I designed it in China. But if you wait a year, China's probably going to rip it off and there'll be millions of them there. But to me, it doesn't, you know, they, they said, is there anywhere I can keep a hold of my design? And I said, in China, I don't think so. Yeah. Disney seems to be doing it pretty well. But in China, that's what they are, the duplication king and queens of the world. So chances are, if you're designing something, sell it as quickly as possible because they'll do they'll duplicate it and probably do it better than you did so just have that well there's more where that came from attitude and you make something else yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you like my coat go to china next year because it's probably going to be in every color because <laughs> they did have me autograph and they kept the drawing which they were really sweet oh you're famous please sign and i thought yeah right i know you you saved the patterns <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. <laughs> Best form of flattery, you know. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So outside of Disney and the Muppets, then, uh, you talking about being all over the place. What are some of the other things that you've done? This I know there's some that I mentioned in the intro. One I didn't mention in the intro is the Foster Farms chickens. Foster Farms chickens, which they've been having a little hiatus because they got hit with a salmonella scare, even though uh, newsflash, all birds have salmonella. <clears throat> uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> and you need to learn how to cook your chicken, Yeah, guys. Don't put your cooked chicken on the same plate you had the raw chicken without washing it with soap and water. Anyway, um, that was the thing. And so they've laid kind of low, and I hope they start up again because they're such a joy to do. I've been doing the passenger character uh, for the West Coast. So if you're the East Coast and you're going, huh? Um, just go to fosterfarms.com and Google Foster Imposters, and you'll be able to see the, or just go to YouTube and say Foster Imposters. You'll get to see some of our commercials on YouTube. But they are joyful, they're fun, they're silly, they're stupid, and they leave us to pretty much do our own thing. That's the beauty of being a puppeteer. If you try to put words in our mouths, you're really not getting the full potential of a puppeteer. Puppeteers are really wacky. I mean, we're, we're under furniture. So <laughs> we're a little twisted, you know, and, and you want to, you want to have that come out. And that's why these commercials are so funny. And I started those in 1993. So they're 22 plus years that we've been doing them. So I hope they come back because I miss them every time I do it. It's a, it's like a family reunion with the, with the people that I love. I just love everyone there. They sent my dad a, a Foster Farms hat, a sweatshirt and a turkey every year. So it's pretty neat. And yes, I do have all kinds of things. This is October, so I teach pumpkin sculpting. Thank you, Disney collectors. Disney enthusiasts and collectors were the ones that were responsible for getting me to actually do the class because I just did it for myself. I just would sculpt and do 10 or 15 pumpkins and set them out in front, and people would go, ooh, ah, I never really thought about teaching others to do it. It just didn't occur to me. And then the Disney, a Disney club came to me and said, you know, hey, uh, would you teach us? And I said, of course, I'd be more than happy. So I said, you know, um, you have to do it. My, my fee plus pumpkin. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I'm actually, if you live in the California area, make a trip out to Ventura. First of all, it's cool. It's beautiful. We're near the beach. You can't see the beach. We're right off the 101 at McGrath Street's Pumpkin Patch. And uh, I'm there the 28th and 29th of October. And I'm there every year on the last weekend before Halloween. Unless Halloween falls on that weekend, it's still the same. It's the last weekend before of October that uh, is before Halloween so that you can take your pumpkin and your new knowledge and create something spectacular for your front yard. And I've been doing that for 15 years now. But again, um, it was Disney collectors and enthusiasts that got me to think to do that. So, yep, it was, it's, it's really, and I have a video that you can buy on Amazon, but it's, I found out it's less expensive if you buy it from me directly, which is pretty funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually the same for my books. I sell my books cheaper than you can buy them on Amazon. It's funny because Amazon's supposed to be the inexpensive place to get it. And I actually did a garage sale last weekend and the guy saw my video and he goes, oh, you have a pumpkin video. I go, I'm a pumpkin sculptor. Oh, well, how much you, you know, signed it's $20. Well, on Amazon is like $23 and it's not signed. Uh So I said, there you go. You know, (laughs) just like you said with your books. And there you go. (laughs) And I write, I I write books right now. I'm working on a book that I want to pitch to Warner Brothers. Uh, I work for the, uh, I love to do work for charity. So I will do, um, if there's a charity that wants to um, have a sculpture or something, we work out something and I'll appear and do a demo or I'll appear and do a little piece for them to auction off and benefit their charity and stuff. I'm finding that's really fun because it widens um, the things that I get to do. So, and, and, the, and I used to be years ago, a nature sculptor for the world wildlife fund, which is, I'm still with as a member, but uh, I want to get back into that in the study of, of uh, wildlife and animals and stuff like that. Cause I, I really love doing that kind of stuff. So I'm going to branch out, and do different sculpting and stuff. I'm also writing a book called Light as a Feather. It's about how to do uh, costumes for cosplay and uh, props for your Halloween home that you can hold with your pinky finger so you can move them around because they're light. And uh-huh. the thing I'm hoping to have for February's, uh, I don't, present Day is in February. I'm hoping to have for February the magic mirror that people can actually articulate and see this is one of the things that I want to build and show you how to do in the book. Uh-huh. So hopefully the book will be ready by then and the mayor will be there so you can actually play with one of the pieces and see visually what I'm talking about. Right. So, yeah. So I want to do that because I had a lot of people who are like, for example, there's a new character from uh, Avengers or no Thor. She's called Hela, yeah, Hela. right? Yep. I think she was called Hell in the comic book, my husband says. But in any case, here she's Hella. And uh, I was at the San Diego Comic-Con and saw a woman who had done the headdress out of wood. And I thought I was very concerned for her and her physical Mm well-being. So I built it out of my material and uh, had it at an event. And I would pretend it was really heavy. And then I would let someone hold it. And they would go, what? (laughs) What? What? It only, what does it weigh? I said about, I don't know, less than a pound. And they're like, what? So what is this material? I said, you got to buy the book. <laughs> right. Yeah, I didn't mention in the intro, they're actually sitting here in Terry's studio doing this recording, having this conversation, and I noticed it. You noticed Hella, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. And there I would see a woman, she would look up at the event. I was at Midsummer Scream. It was my first appearance there. And uh, and I had this hella headdress, and I'd say, you want to try it on? And they would just get so excited. And I love that kind of stuff. So the only thing I have to do is uh, put another panel in the neck because my mannequin has a really thin neck. I built it on my mannequin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and not of me. It's just a mannequin I have that shows stuff off that she's wearing it now, as you see. But her neck is a lot thinner, so I put another panel. It, fit, it fits some ladies so well. It doesn't fit me. I have too much hair. But it sure fits them. Them very nicely and uh and boy they just went crazy for it so so and it but i said this is just to show would you like a book that shows you how to make things that aren't heavy but look cool and they were like yeah is it out now and i was like no doggone it wish i had you know wish you could just go poof and there it is <laughs> right not that good yet <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, lots of stuff. You know, you just say to yourself, oh, I want to do this, the forensic sculpting, which people go, what? Here is, I go to a class in the best place to take a forensic sculpting class anywhere in the world. And if you ever want to do it, it's um, San Marcos, Texas. It's just outside of Austin. And it's their university of San Marcos. It's the biggest, best, most wonderfulest, is that a word? Sure. Uh, place that you can do forensic sciences. So there we were learning how to do facial reconstruction. So what happens is you find a skull, they find a skull, and they need to have a, um, they need to have flesh put on it uh-huh. so that they can identify the victim. And, uh, and I just thought this was fascinating. It wasn't available when I was a youngster. So when I saw this come up, I said, boy, it's a good thing because I probably would have gone the forensic science route. So you can take this class there. And the reason you want to take it there, you can also take it up in um, Scottsdale, Arizona. But Scottsdale, Arizona, it's more of an art crowd that that you teach it. You don't get to, You don't get to do some of the things that you get to do at an actual forensic university. Not to mention you don't necessarily get to be with forensic, impressive people. So I was with anthropologists, police officers, professors, people with like really big brains. And you thought to yourself, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And the thing that's nice about this forensic class is you don't have to be a sculptor. You just have to have a passion to try this reconstruction. And the teacher, Karen Taylor, is the best in the business. She's one of the best. She's a legend. And if you Google Karen T. Taylor, you can find out about her class. But it's just amazing. You get the skull and you get to do these little things that they stick on the cheeks, which is the depth of the flesh. And then you put the clay on. And then at the end, they show you pictures of potential victims. Which one is the victim that you sculpted? And you have to say, mine looks like A, B, C, or D. And I posted, but I wasn't allowed to post pictures of the victim, only my art. Hmm. And um, and I picked it from mine. So it didn't mean mine was really great. It just meant that I could see where if I tweaked it just a little bit, it would be almost exactly, but it was really compelling how close it was. But people would say, why is a Disney artist doing this? Why would a Disney artist who does whimsical, fun, cute little figures want to do forensic? Well, I'm sure you mentioned to me your wife is a massage therapist. She would know the answer to that, too. The foundation is bones. No matter what, 
it is, is bones and muscles. So when you learn the bones and muscles, you're like, oh my goodness, this is like, this is incredible. And I couldn't get over how be sculpting over a skull made me aware of some of the shortcomings when I do portraits and I do a lot of portrait work. So all of a sudden I'm sculpting over a skull and I'm like, wow, okay. You know? Yeah. Anyway, so it was just fantastic. And then you're with anthropologists who their whole thing is to study forensics and they talk to you about what they do when they find someone that needs to be identified. And she had one person that had not yet been identified that she sculpted. So we got to learn about that. I mean, this just, you know, so yes, I think you should always be open to learning and always be open to learning from anybody. So if you're out there thinking, you know, that 20 year old, how dare they teach me how to do something? Don't, don't do that because these 20 year olds and these 15 year olds and these young people that are coming up and doing their art are doing some fantastic things. And, and if you're not open to learning something new from anyone, then you could miss out. So, yeah. Uh, even something really basic can, if nothing else, help shift the way you think and give you a new perspective on something. So it doesn't even have to be somebody that you would look at and say, oh, well, I, they definitely have something to teach me. It could be anybody. It, it, you have to keep an open heart in a positive and be open for the message. And I don't just mean, you know, a spiritual message. I mean a message from someone who is put in your spot to, to give you one. And you also want to be open in case someone is put in your direction to, for you to give something. Mm -hmm. You never know when you're going to be called upon. And it's usually, it can be very subtle that someone is brought into your space that needs a seed of encouragement or something. You just, and you can't even look at it. Just all of a sudden you ping in your head, you go, ah, this person is why I'm here today. Wow. I would have never thought of that, you know, or this person is the one I needed to see today. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh my goodness. So for example, my husband, I was um, painting stitch. I ha I sell these little sculptures that are only a hundred to any collector who will buy them. And uh, I have five left and I was painting stitch. And I said to my husband, "You, I need you to make dinner. I'm just too up against a deadline. I can't take a break to cook because I'm usually the one that cooks. And he says, okay, what do you want me to make? And I said, I would really like you to take some chopped chicken breast and mix it with noodles. Just pour some noodles in the water, blah, blah, blah. And he walks over and goes, did we get rid of all the wooden spoons? And I'm like, no, there should be one in the drawer. And he pulls out a wooden spoon and he puts it across the top of the boiling water with the noodles. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, this keeps it from boiling over. Shut the front door. It does not. <laughs> yes, it does. And I never knew that. But how exciting it was to learn that. I hate when my pot's boiled over and all I needed was a wooden spoon across the top. That's it. You know, and he's like, watch. And I was like, you are kidding me. Oh, my goodness. So he says, you see the burn mark? This is because I've used this spoon before. So you never know what little cool thing you, you're going to learn. You just, uh, well, I'll be dogged, you know? Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so that may not be very Disney, but if you are cooking your Mickey Mouse noodles and they over, 
your pot boils over, wooden spoon is the answer, guys. Uh, if you can't find one, look at thrift stores and swap meets. They're still around. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Worth the price of it. Isn't right that there. funny? I was like, <laughs> and it didn't. So I was blown away. Yeah. Yeah. I actually knew that trick and I'd forgotten it. And we just had a pot boil over when we were cooking something in the last week or two. So I've got to remember that. Yeah. How cool is this? And like I said, it doesn't have much to do with Disney, but by the same token, we all eat. So that, you know, (laughs) (laughs) we need to make a a wooden spoon that's in the shape of Mickey Mouse. I bet we better get on that. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Better do it before this episode comes out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody else will do it. Well, there's more where that came. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) No, so we've talked about a lot of really cool stuff that you've done and you're obviously very forward looking and looking at the next thing you're going to do and very excited about all the stuff you're doing now, but are there any product or not products, but projects that you finished and you miss them? Yeah. Projects that I've done and I miss them. Boy, I did, uh, the inaugural race, um, castle to Chateau Mm. for Paris. Uh Did you do that one? No. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I took my husband. He'd never been to Paris. I'd been there three times before. I've never been. And I love Paris. I didn't always love Paris, but I love Paris. We spent two weeks there. And three days of it was at Disneyland. I am confused by people who only go to the parks and don't see the city that the parks sit within. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm sure you can appreciate it. But you really need to see the country that you're in. It's just such a joy to meet those people outside of the Disney environment. And um, I found that I really missed Paris. Oh, my gosh. The strings just pull. Uh, I miss being able to go through the park. This year, people ran and went through the park, and they invited me to come, and I, I just couldn't make it work. And, oh, I, the date came by, and I could feel the, the, the pull. But then on this, by the same token, my husband couldn't go. And it was such a joyful experience when I was there to be there with him and to see it through his eyes that, uh, that I said, well, maybe I don't want to go there just yet, but it's just, it's just dragons being a part of Imagineering and being a part of that collaboration, which they tell me now is not the same. I miss that. I miss the nine old men. I miss Marty. I miss my Marty. Marty Scalar was my mentor when I was there. He was the in charge of Imagineering and Tony was senior VP. Mm-hmm. They were both instrumental in my development as an Imagineer. I'm a passionate, truthful, spirited human being. I don't have a catalytic converter on my mouth. So if you, I have a problem with you, I just want to tell you, get it out, get it in the open, get it fixed. Mm-hmm. I want to get it fixed. I don't want a lot of explanation as to why I can't do something. Just tell me the first part and then I'll ask you the question and we can go from there. So I tend to have this um, really direct attitude that my husband just kind of, and it's passionate. So my husband goes, wow, you know, like Ferris Bueller's Dave's off is a perfect example. I hate this movie. I don't dislike this movie. I don't think this movie is not that great. I hate this movie. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. You see what I mean? So my husband just goes, wow, how do you really feel? Wow, gee, why would you be so passionate about a movie? I just can't stand it. And so I say, well, everybody loves it. They go, my favorite movie is Ferris Day Off. I go, oh, 
you know, okay, don't ask me about it because I really hate it. Um, I hated the first three films of Star Wars, one, two, and three. I thought they were offensive, vulgar, and horrible, and I wish they were gone. So when we talk, it's very passionate, and I really get into it, and my face changes, and my body changes. It's like, we're going to fight. And Marty, when I was a, an Imagineer, I would knock on his door, and he would say, what is it, Terry? You know, without even opening it, he knew. And if you guys have seen Zootopia, the scene where the fox says, under the bridge, she's trying to apologize and she's crying. And he says, come here, you bunnies. And he and her head is in his chest. That was me and Marty. So um, I really miss the counsel of Marty Scalar. We were friends all the way. He wrote the foreword to my book as a Christmas gift. So funny, Terry, I'm too busy. I call him up. Marty, will you write the foreword? I'll, I, 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 what would you like me to do for you? Because I don't expect you to do it for nothing. You want me to sculpt something? Would you like? I would really love you to write the forward to me. But oh, Terry, I'm so busy. You know, I'm an author too now, and blah blah blah. And then on Christmas Day, he sent it to me in an envelope and said Merry Christmas. And so, you know, wow. Um, so I miss him, and I miss Tony being at Imagineering. I'm not. I'm there like like the tide. You know, the moon is full. I maybe show up, and I work there for a couple of weeks, and then they say goodbye. But Tony is a is an icon, and I always thought that he would be an Imagineer ring forever. And now that he's not there, uh, I'm concerned. And you can put this in the podcast because I am. I don't know if Disney is going to be as Disney without Tony Baxter. I just think Tony was kind of our police dog to make sure that things were. It doesn't have to be all about Walt, but it does need to be about Walt. Mm-hmm. And I don't like the idea that I'm feeling like it's like he's trying to be erased and see, there's the truth coming out guys. You know, I, I really, really, really don't want to see that happen. And I don't know if there's anything we can do about it. I'm grateful for the family museum because they made it harder. Mm-hmm. Um, thank goodness. Thank you, Roy. But wow. I just, I just really would feel so much better if Tony was still there. Yeah. So the fact that he's not, um, is a cause for concern. That being said, I was just there on Sunday. I rode the train. I was bedazzled by how wonderful the um, final sequence that kept my dinosaurs. Oh my gosh, I can't even believe it that they're still there. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then I rode the Mark. I haven't ridden the Mark Twain in forever and saw the display there. The crane is annoying. Yes. I kept getting the pings of Walt going, that would never happen <laughs> if on my watch. But the rest of it, I can see where they're going. I see the vision that they want to make it, you know, the Indians have not burned down the cabin and the settlers are not gone. They are friends and united and telling stories and the good side, the positive side. I like that. So, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm grateful for that. So I just keep my fingers crossed and, and pray that, that they, as Imagineers realize how important it is to keep at least in Anaheim, the Walt and Walt Disney, you know, Disneyland is what Walt created. Mm -hmm. Walt Disney world is what he dreamed about. So you don't need to pit each other at the parks. We're not arrogant at Anaheim because we had Walt. We're just defending the fact that some people, when they come from the East, go, the castle is so small. Well, before you say that, just kind of check your mouth 
because you're walking in Walt's footsteps. Mm -hmm. That castle was his first, that castle he designed. You can actually recreate one of your favorite photos by walking out the back. You can find out where he stood, you can take the pose he took, and you can take the exact picture. You cannot do that anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, so just be a little careful when you dis Disneyland. And I know you, a lot of you don't mean to, but those kind of things, that's why people get uppity. And if they're coming to Walt Disney World and they're doing the same to your family, then, you know, because Disney is your family. Walt Disney World is your family. And Walt Disney and Disneyland is your family. So don't come out with a mean, which is a statement that could be misconstrued as mean. It. I know that you might be shocked, but try to think it first because... Yes, it is a smaller castle than Walt Disney World is, but we've always been confined. Walt was confined to a certain space. Mm -hmm. And as we were talking before about the Disney races, we're confined here with our Disney races here. And we have to fight for stuff here that in Walt Disney World, Dis Walt had the wherewithal to get fixed so that Walt Disney World doesn't have to fight so hard. Right. They still have to fight. I'm not belittling that they don't fight, but it's not as difficult because Walt saw the trouble he was having here in Anaheim and said, that's not gonna happen when I do Walt Disney World. So that's the joy of both parks, what he built and what he dreamt of. We can both be on the same, in the same country and celebrate each other because I love Walt Disney World where you can go in and never go out, you know, for weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in Disneyland, you got to have a few other stuff to do because we've got two parks and a few hotels and then you got to see the rest of California. Right. But uh, we're also a very, very sunny state. We also have amazing beaches and uh, uh, San Francisco and the Bay Bridge and the museum. So there's a lot Marcus of fun things you can park do. in the United States oh. in San Diego. Oh. Just, yeah, and take the train uh -huh. to San Diego so you can go along the beach. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So there's lots of stuff to do. Um, you don't have to stay at uh, the park and, and do it. And I had some friends from Florida who said, I just can't get over that. I can see Disneyland and the Disneyland California Adventure in a few days. Uh, yeah, well, gives you room to do other stuff. Because mm -hmm. we are very close to the beach and close to great stuff. Yeah. yeah. So. And they embrace that out here. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like back in Florida, they don't talk about Universal. They don't talk about SeaWorld. You know, it's keeping people on property, and that's the way it was designed. That's the way it's supposed to be. Out here, they have packages that you can buy where you can do Disneyland and yeah. you can do Universal. The largest seller of uh, SeaWorld packages is the Walt Disney Travel Company. Absolutely. Absolutely, because it's right. We're so you're so close, and here at Universal, um, Harry Potter's castle is on a mount is on a mountain because we have them. Right. So you actually get to look up to this castle, which is like nothing you've ever seen. So although you may love the Universal in Florida, this one is spectacular. That castle can be seen from the freeway. Wow. So people just go, what, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so embrace everything when you're here and. Uh, if you if you have not been out here and you have not seen the Hollywood sign and you want to figure out how to get close, then you got to message me because people who live here have a secret as to where the best place to take a picture of the Hollywood sign is. So there's another note for you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've been talking a lot about the things that you've done that have been really exciting and really successful, things that have been a lot of fun, things like that. How about any setbacks or challenges that you've had? How are there any that stand out and how did you deal with them and get past it to then or, or make it a part of your journey to get to where you are? 
That's a, another really good question. To be an Imagineer was not make the decision and get hired. I have enough rejection letters of that stupid idiot mouse in the sorcerer hat and outfit <laughs> smiling at me as he told me to go fish, look for another job. You're not coming here, sister. And that was really tough. I mean, I, those letters, I came across one the other day and I went, you know, <laughs> I defeated you, mouse. <laughs> but uh, but you just keep. But that was like, I think I started when my mother. I started just before my mother got hired. My mother got hired as Imagineering as a word processor. For those of you who have no idea what that is, that was someone who would input into the computer because you couldn't. You were unable. She was trained specifically to input into these computers. Word processor. Wow. And she was at Disney for three years. And she said, I know you've been trying really hard to get into Disney. And she gave me a blue card. And you were supposed to staple this blue card to your application. And it, it guaranteed you an interview. Didn't work. <laughs> and I still get a rejection letter. <laughs> so I just couldn't believe it. You know, hundreds and hundreds of these. I tried this. I tried that. I thought, what is it that they don't like about my resume, you know, I know when I get in there, they're going to go nuts. But getting past that first is, mm -hmm. is really a challenge. What's going on? And I decided to just let it go. Sometimes you, sometimes you got to just step back from your dream for a couple minutes and say, let's just do something else and see what happens. Let the dust settle. And then we're going to go back and we're going to try it again. And that's what I did. I worked for a little studio called Shaftons Inc., which is still very much in production and they build um, the walk around characters or the characters for SeaWorld. The characters like uh, McGruff the crime dog, Smokey the bear, uh -huh. these characters that you see, you take pictures with like Tigger and Cetra. They did not do any for Disney, but they did for Universal and I sculpted the heads. A lot of the times I sculpted the heads, sometimes the bodies, but mostly the heads. And I was there for my friend. My, now, my friend who ran it, we had done a little puppet show when I was 18 called BB Beagle, which would look strangely enough a lot like the Muppets. But the Muppets <laughs> had... Uh, had seized, had had dispersed, and we and Hanna Barbera was trying to capitalize on their their fame and fortune by creating their own show. So I did a character in BB Beagle, and he was a puppeteer on it. Well, then he got out of the puppeteering and took over the shop where they built these characters. And I'm back there sculpting a head, and a guy walks in, and he looks at me and he says, "Terry," and I said, "Oh my gosh, what are you doing here? What are you doing here?" And he said, I'm at the Tahunga building. Now, Disney has buildings peppered everywhere. It seems they've consolidated a little bit, but they were peppered everywhere. And one of the buildings they still own is the Tahunga building, meaning that it's on Tahunga Avenue. And along the drive to go to the gate of the Tahunga building, the Disney buildings in the back, are little stores or little shops that line that area. Shaftons was one of them. And so my friend said, I'm building sets over Tonga Building for Disney. And I said, what? I said, well, how do you get in there? And he's like, what do you mean? And I said, I've been trying to get into Disney for so long, and I just need to know the formula. What's the secret? And he goes, you want to work for them? They're looking for people. Let me see what I can do. And that's how it started. It still took three months for me to get in. 
But that was really, I mean, so as much as you kind of go, you know, you're really upset and you get, you get something slammed in your face. You just never know if that, I mean, as a kid, my hair was set on fire. I had a second grade teacher who called me black Sambo because she didn't like the fact that I was half African-American. All of these things as a young person are devastating. Don't get me wrong, but I had wonderful parents that taught me how to see the good side of people and how to rise above the ashes. And it's not always easy. I have to admit, I did not have any cyberbullying. I can't imagine that what that would be like. I probably would not read it. Yeah. But my point is, is that that kind of stuff is, is rough. And so how do you rise above it? And, and I, my father just said, you know, you have to be worthy. You have to be worthy of such a gift. Not everybody can be an Imagineer, but that doesn't mean you can't. Just you have to work for it, you know? So God may give you a right hook and you fall and then looks down and says, you getting up? You done? Well, and you have to decide. I'm going to pick myself up, dust myself off, you know? It can be really tough. I'm 16 years old. I'm about to be 16 years old, I remember. And my favorite artist in the world was John Denver. I had every album. I had every record I could find. I listened to him on the radio. I danced to his music. I sculpted to his work. I loved, adored John Denver. And a concert was coming to the Universal Studios. And so I told my father I was going to run up and get tickets. And I stood in line all night. And when I got up to the window, they closed the window and said, sold out. I mean, I must have been one person back. And it was sold out. I was devastated. And you know what you tell yourself? You say to yourself, ah, I can listen to the records. I didn't really want to go to that concert anyway. I I, I can listen to the records. I can sing with the records. It's probably going to be noisy. And you know, you're just selling yourself a bill of goods. Well, my father worked for KMPC radio, which was next to KTTV channel five, both here in California, both local. And my dad was a guy who spun the records for Gary Owens, who you may remember and Roger Carroll, who you may not both very big at the time. Gary Owens, of course, went forward to be big from voices that he did and, and other things because he expanded as well. That's mm -hmm. probably where I learned it. But my father says, you need to come down to the radio station right now, Terry. You need to get in your car and come down to the radio station. And I was like, okay. He goes, just don't ask any questions. I need you here. And I'm like, okay, dad, I'm on my way. So I jump in my car and uh, I drive down and uh, pass through the gate, go through the radio. And I walk in and the man standing opposite me, no lie, absolutely truth be told, was John Denver. And I just, ah! and John Denver said, happy birthday. And I went, yeah, thank you. And he said, I understand you couldn't get tickets to my concert. And he hands me two tickets, third row center. And he said, the only toll for these tickets is you have to tell me your favorite song. And I said, oh, that's easy. Grandma's feather bed. Mm -hmm. And he said, why? And I said, because we have one up north. And my dad starts laughing. I go, I don't know if it was my grandma's but it's a feather bed and my whole family has to sleep in it when we see my grandfather. And he says, really? And I said, yeah. So every time he sang it, I flash back to that. That's my, that's my thing. So there he was handing me tickets 
And then I'm at the concert with my friend and he looks down at me and he says, I'm going to sing a song for my very special friend because of her birthday, Terry Harden. Here it is, Grandma's Feather Bed. So you just don't know. You don't know. And I, I think that's why the pop people say, why are you so positive? I'm not always positive, but I will say that nine out of 10 I am. And I'm not that the sun always shines and there is no bad in the world. I get it. But I have a process in which I get out of those deep, dark, the when I'm in a deep, dark situation, how to come out. And it's these forms of where I thought it was really an awful, dark place. And then the next thing you know, I'm shaking hands with the guy. You know, I mean, Disney takes three months to hire me, three months to make up your mind. Come on. You're looking at my portfolio going, wow, where have you been all our lives? And still you take three months to figure out whether you want me there. And I'm trying to hang on. Have you done that where the job you love, but you're starving? You have to pay the bills, but they're going to call. You know they're going to call, but good grief, what's taking so long? So I get a call That brings us to the end of this week's show. A very special thank you to Terry Harden for being my guest and to you for listening. Come back next time for the conclusion of our interview. You won't want to miss it. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing, or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or if you've had any special Disney experience that you want to share, or give a compliment or a thank you for anything Disney has done, I'd love to hear from you too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in Apple Podcasts, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, through Stitcher Smart Radio, or through Google Play Music. For that one, you can go to storiesofthemagic.com slash Google. If you like the show, please rate and review it in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. It really helps. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. In fact, you've heard Terry mention a couple of different things that she'd like to hear from people about, so if you want to respond, this is a great way to do it. While you're there, you can also check out the show notes for useful links from each episode. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash stories of the magic. And of course, you can also respond to some of the questions and things we've brought up there. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic and tweet out that you're listening or pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com. 
www.thepowerofpowerpodcast.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.